Welcome to Strictly Facts, a guide to Caribbean history and culture, hosted by me, Alexandria Miller. Strictly Facts teaches the history, politics, and activism of the Caribbean and connects these themes to contemporary music and popular culture. Welcome, people, and welcome back to another episode of Strictly Facts, the guide to Caribbean history and culture. I am your host, Alexandria, and I am so happy to welcome our first guest, my girl, Melanie White. But, you know, before we really dive into things, and I'll let Melanie introduce herself in a minute, have you ever seen those memes online where, you know, you're talking about Guyana, and then they're like, you know, Guyana says chicken curry and not curry chicken, or but Guyana is in South America, so technically how are they a part of the Caribbean? Like, there's a lot of questions when it comes to what exactly is Caribbean geography. So that's what Melanie and I are going to be speaking about today. So Melanie, welcome to the show. Please let everybody know who you are, what you do, and obviously, you know, the main reason why we're here today, what Caribbean country that you represent. Thanks so much, Alexandria. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for thinking of me and inviting me onto your podcast. This is um, a topic that I'm constantly thinking about and that resonates a lot uh, with my work. I am actually a PhD candidate in Africana Studies at Brown University. So I'm finishing up my last two years, currently working on my dissertation. And I'm originally from Miami, Florida, where I also currently live. And my mom is actually from the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. She comes from a small island off the coast uh, called Corn Island. And my dad is actually from Cuba. He's from Havana. Very cool. Yes. The Caribbean diaspora, obviously, we're both doctoral students studying the Caribbean. But more importantly, you know, what do we label as the confines and regional borders, so-called of um, the Caribbean. So yeah, today, this episode is, you know, the first of what I'm conceiving as a two-part episode. So this one is definitely about the region of the Caribbean, as far as defined by the Caribbean Sea. And then we'll be talking about in the the following episode about the diaspora. So I think just in general, there are a lot of misconceptions about um, what we define as the Caribbean, you know, Do people think of it as islands? Do people think of it as what are the, you know, maybe independent countries? Because there are still places that are also territories. So I guess we can just start off with, you know, some quote unquote, like geographic facts and stuff. So, you know, the Caribbean on a whole is made up of hundreds of islands and countries, Ks, nations. It's a mix of everything that are, for the most part, defined by its proximity to the Caribbean Sea. Um, And so, you know, most of those hundreds of islands are inhabited, but then there are kind of the greater Antilles, which include independent nations like Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, and DR, which, you know, Haiti and DR are part of Hispaniola. Um, So another key fact here when we're thinking of Caribbean geography. And then you have the lesser Antilles, which are, you know, that kind of arc of states, nations, islands um, that are north of South America. So some are independent, some are still territories. And then, you know, when you think of the Lesser Antilles, it can also be further broken down into the Leeward Islands, um, which includes like the U.S. and British Virgin Islands, Guadeloupe, St. Kitts and Nevis, 
And then you have the Windward Islands, which are St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Dominica. So, you know, there's a kind of array of a lot of things, including also the Leeward Antilles, which is Aruba, um, Bonaire, Curaçao. And then lastly, you know, you can't forget the weird arc that is um, Turks and Caicos and the Bahamas, which are to the east of Florida. So there's a bunch of things when it comes to kind of defining what is the Caribbean. But then, you know, if you think of something like CARICOM, which for those who aren't familiar, CARICOM is, I guess you can maybe, you know, make the analogy to like the EU or what we, you know, used to think of as the EU. But CARICOM is also the acronym for Caribbean Community, which is the regional community or union amongst um, Caribbean nations, island states. And so, you know, members of CARICOM are, you know, Cuba, Jamaica, etc. But then you also have states like Belize and Guyana and Suriname that are also part of the Caribbean community. So it's like, how does that, you know, even come into play? And so I guess with that, Melanie, we'll start with um, what are some of your misconceptions or what were some of your misconceptions of the Caribbean growing up? You know, how and where did you learn this? Um, Yeah, thank you so much for that overview. (laughs) That was like, that was really good. I feel like growing up, I didn't receive any kind of education about what constituted the, the Caribbean. Um, Also, growing up, I called it Caribbean. I don't know. (laughs) There's like apparently a debate about whether it's Caribbean or Caribbean. Growing up, I called it Caribbean. But then like once I uh, went to like university and like grad school, I've kind of like switched over to calling it Caribbean. I'm not sure how that happened. So growing up, you know, I guess like a lot of people who were living in the diaspora, who did not grow up or or weren't born in the Caribbean, um, you know, for me, it was... What we saw on TV, you know, a place uh, very tropical, lots of beaches, uh, tourism heavy, just like kind of like pristine paradises that were like little known or little explored. You know, these are all these images that we kind of see growing up. And also being from Miami, um, I kind of, you know, was around a lot of Cubans, Puerto Ricans, there's a lot of Haitians in Miami, there's Bahamians in Miami. Um, And Miami's like history, you know, is very intertwined with like Caribbean people and Caribbean migration. So I kind of also had that sort of like, historical context. But um, most of what I knew was, I guess, like based off of like what I saw on TV. And then also like my own personal family, family background, you know, Growing up, I didn't exactly know what Corn Island was. I just, I was like, why have none of my friends heard about this place? Uh, my family's Black, though. My family speaks similarly to the way that, you know, I think Jamaicans speak. So it was kind of an introduction in that way. So I kind of had this, like, early introduction or, or idea around the fact that, like, migrations happened and somehow, like, people who are Jamaican um, were like my family or my family was like Jamaicans. So I knew that something had happened historically, but I had no kind of formal education around it. Um, Neither did my family. It wasn't until I was in high school and I did my own kind of online research. It wasn't until then that I actually learned about the history of Caribbean Nicaragua and the coast of Caribbean Central America and that historically there have been numerous migration patterns 
of people from the Caribbean, you know, going to places like Cuba, um, like, for example, Jamaicans in Cuba or, you know, Jamaican um, yeah. migrant laborers going to Caribbean Central America in the ninth, in the 20th century. Oh, yes, we're definitely going to talk <laughs> about that. But one thing I thought that I thought about that really struck out to me is especially as children of the diaspora and children of maybe in my case, you know, immigrants to this country. It's so, I mean, I guess it's good and bad that we are doing this research, right? Like the fact that we have to become kind of early scholars within ourselves, right? Which I think is something that really influences both my work and your work that like, had we not, you know, had the privilege to reach where we are academically, um, had we not, you know, kind of sought our own path in that way, this research, this history, this understanding of who we are as Caribbean people, um, as um, first generation, et cetera, like this would be lost in some sense, you know. Um, and so I just wanted to shout out to you um, <laughs> for doing that work as well. But yeah, so I guess then um, to follow up, what's your current definition of the Caribbean, you know, and how has it been shaped by all these changes and understandings in your kind of young adult life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess like through that kind of like, kind of like self-directed research I did in high school about, you know, my family's background, um, that's where I really began to learn about this history. And I, I further wanted to explore that in um, college. So I studied anthropology because I was like, wow, like this is a perfect opportunity to get like university funding and money to like actually travel to the place that my family's from because I'd never been there. Like my first time going to Corn Island was through like this undergraduate anthropology grant I got from. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. So it was in college, I would say. One of the first courses I took that really just shaped the way I thought about the Caribbean was um, Caribbean culture and politics with uh, Professor Deborah Thomas at Penn. And, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about Haiti. And also we worked, we thought a lot about Jamaica and the tourism industry there and the kind of like the legacies of slavery and colonialism in the current day. Um, so that was like really my first introduction. And it kind of paved the way for what I think now um, is my definition of the Caribbean, which is, you know, it's it's an expansive geographic region that's not limited just to the Caribbean Sea, of course, but extends, you know, throughout the whole U.S. South, perhaps throughout the Caribbean coast of Central America and the Caribbean coasts of like northern South America. So I, I include all of it like I'm of that school that's like, yeah, like, why not? Like anywhere that has a Caribbean yeah. community or Caribbean coastal community that has a history of um, exchange and interchange with the Caribbean, like that is the Caribbean. Um, I consider Miami to be the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just like, I guess, specifically name, naming my, my conception, I would say that it's an expansive geographic region. And it's also a historical formation that, you know, has been tainted mm -hmm. by these violent legacies of slavery and colonialism. And it's that kind of socio historical and political formation to me that um, takes a central place in my imagination of the region. So not so much these kind of like, you know, colonial maps and, and, and metrics and ways of yeah. thinking about place, but kind of like history and just kind of like interchange and like 
um, just all these like small histories we never learn about, like literally like any country you point to like has this like these hidden histories and like anyone I meet any Caribbean place or island like there's like lots of migration stories and just lots of really interesting um, histories that we don't learn about I would say not even in in academia like they just remain hidden unfortunately A Little Bit de Todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit de Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I agree. And so something you brought up is migration, right? Immigration, migration, etc. One thing that I think has kind of been on my mind recently is right, like the the conversation about migrating, um, I guess in the sort of dominant sphere is at least in my kind of personal clique crew, whatever you want to call that, right? It's always like you're migrating to God foreign or foreign, which is usually like a um colonial body, right? or former colonial body, etc. So, you know, in Jamaica's case, that could mean England, that could mean the US, that could mean Canada, that could mean France, you know, X number of places. We so rarely talk about migrating within the region, right? You know, there's like a lot of people that if you read their biographies, you'll find out like, for example, Rita Marley, who obviously we all know, historically, wife of Bob Marley was born in, she was actually born in Cuba, you know, so obviously everybody knows her as Jamaican songstress, you know, wife of Bob Marley, singer um, in the I-3, but she was born in Cuba because her family um, was living there at the time. And, you know, that's how she came about. Or writer Merle Collins, who everybody knows as a Grenadian author, um, was born in Aruba because her parents had migrated there and then, you know, moved back to Grenada later on in her childhood. So I guess if you want to talk a bit about, you know, migrational patterns within the region and again, maybe expanding upon your own family history. Yes. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know until recently that Rita Marley was born in um, Cuba. I see that she was born in Santiago de Cuba, which makes me think like perhaps her parents were working in the sugar industry. I mean, that's probably most likely, but I couldn't find more information about like her familial, what do you call it? Like yeah, lineage. Yeah, lineage or like what they were doing in Cuba, but that's really interesting. And I think it also brings light to the fact that like even within, you know, African American history or these kind of like key figures, um, black feminist figures like Audre Lorde, for example, who we tend to think of as like, you know, US based or, you know, black US figures, a lot of them do have roots in the Caribbean. Audre Lorde, you know, her dad was Bayesian and her mom was Grenadian. And she she does write about that, but we don't tend to like think of her in that light. So that's all very interesting to me as well. Yeah. And in my own family history, my paternal grandmother um her mother was of Haitian descent unfortunately I don't Mm. know I don't know too much about that history I do know there's a lot of Haitians in Cuba though and so like my own family lineage has this like story that I need to like do more uncovering (laughs) for Mm -hmm. and then like within my my mom's side of the family 
my grandmother, for example, she she was she's from Corn Island, Nicaragua, but her dad was working in the Panama Canal zone. So mm. at the time, you know, my grandmother was born in Colón, Panama. And so there's just all these kind of like migration stories within my own family. Unfortunately, like, you know, my grandmother unfortunately passed away. So like, there's so much that I, I want to learn that I'll have to like do some digging around. Yeah. But yes, there's a lot of like labor migration, like again, with, um, on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, even to this day, lots of folks kind of migrate abroad um, for work. Like they go to the Cayman Islands, they do kind of like fishing mm-hmm. over there. Um, they work on, you know, cruise ships, on merchant ships, um, and not just the Cayman Islands, but also San Andres and like Providence Island, which those two islands in particular also tend to get erased from like mm-hmm. Caribbean history. But yeah, within my, within the context of Caribbean Nicaragua, there's lots of like migration for labor. And then also historically, we can't forget like in the context of slavery, like there are so many cases of like Maroons and enslaved Africans like fleeing mm-hmm. their context of slavery. Again, within the the Mosquisha, which is uh, basically a, a kind of colonial term for what's present day Caribbean, Nicaragua and Honduras. There's lots of folks who like, were Maroons fleeing the Mosquisha and who went to Belize or like, you know, people from Jamaica fleeing to Central America. So that's like an yeah. important history of migration as well. Yeah. And, you know, even to bring back up Panama again, right? I was reading in like the 1880s. So, well, Panama on the whole, you know, people were immigrating to Panama between like the 1850s and roughly like 1914. First, you know, for the railroad and then later for it to help build the canal and, you know, aspire to have a better life and all of that. But like, you know, in the 1880s, it was estimated that there were like 10,000 people from the British West Indies who had um, migrated to Panama to, you know, help build the canal. And so shameless plug, you know, you can check out our syllabus, which goes with each episode um, one of the books, if you'd like to learn more about Panama, is um, Dying to Better Themselves by Olive Senior, where she really does an expansive look at the migration patterns of people across the West Indies who moved to Panama. Okay, so one thing you also bring up is, you know, the impact of, you know, these colonial legacies on what we're calling the Caribbean, right? And so depending on where we're talking about, this could mean former colonies or, you know, even maybe for some of them present colonies today that were formerly owned by the British or the Dutch, the French from Spain. And, you know, even in the case of the USVI, they were at one point owned by Denmark before the land was sold. I hate to say that, but, you know, sold to the U.S. And so this impacts, you know, what we're calling the Caribbean, but also how and what we know about ourselves because of these very serious language barriers, right? For maybe somebody who speaks English but doesn't speak um, French, they're not so as versed in what is the um, maybe Haitian history or, you know, especially when it comes to thinking of histories by the people who live there, especially presently, right? The other problem with history, which is a whole, you know, separate episode and separate discussion is the fact that how many of us are writing our own stories. So that, you know, impacts what we know on a whole another level. But I don't know if you want to speak a bit about race and ethnicity and also language even and how this impacts um, what we label as Caribbean. 
Yes, of course. No, that's a really good and, and pertinent question um, that I think comes up time and again in our thinking about the region. You know, on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, there's uh, six ethnic groups. So that alone, um, there's, yeah. yeah, there's like, there's two uh, Black or Afro-descendant groups. They're called, uh, one is called Creoles, and then the other is called the Garifuna. And then there are, uh, there's the indigenous group of the Rama, uh, the Miskito, and also the Mayana. And then you have the Mestizo, kind of like the national uh, majority or the Mestizos who kind of like make their way, have made their way out to the coast and currently like make up the majority of like the demographic population on the Caribbean coast. So just like in that context alone, there's like this really great racial and ethnic diversity. And there is the question of like language barrier. There is the question of ethnic tension. Um, all of this does come up. And I think also historically in the Caribbean, you have these kind of like struggles over how the nation gets represented nationally. Um, I think this has been, you know, an, an issue that's come up in Trinidad's history, um, yeah. you know, where it's like, there's the issue of like, you know, Indo-Trinidadians like not feeling represented or like Trinidad being kind of like seen as like this black country. And then in Belize, you know, Belize is also kind of seen as like the black country of Central America. However, you have like this great ethnic diversity there as well. You have Garifuna, you have Creoles, you have Mayans, um, you have Mestizos. So I think that this kind of like ethnic diversity is is really, you know, it's a big part of like what makes up the Caribbean and Caribbean politics. And I think that it does shape how we perceive the Caribbean. So I, one of the things that I'm constantly like thinking about is the way that like the Caribbean as a place gets imagined and conceived as black mm. within the kind of like, even, even in like a, a larger, broader imaginary within the tourist imaginary, um, I think the region yeah. is kind of, you know, it's, it's seen through the lens of blackness, which I think is important. But um, sometimes, you know, these the, the histories of like indentured laborers, like Chinese indentured laborers or like um, Indian indentured laborers, like those kinds of histories do tend to kind of be eclipsed. And I also think there's like a kind of insidious way in which when blackness gets taken up as a kind of like regional or national symbol that there's like some anti-black workings there where like lots of folks are able to kind of like appropriate elements of like black culture, whether mm -hmm. it's through language or, um, you know, just kind of like national ideas of, of what makes our culture, like our food. Um, but at the same yeah. time then like still get away with like anti-blackness. I know that's certainly the case on, um, on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. You have like mestizos who basically for anyone who doesn't know what that term means, it, it it denotes kind of like someone who's of uh, European and indigenous ancestry, um, not non-black. Um, so you have like mestizos claiming, you know, to be like also from the Caribbean coast and like, oh, my family's been here, you know, for a, a few decades and like I mm -hmm. the same food. Like we also eat, you know, rondon, we love um, pati, we love just kind of like all these facets of like black Caribbean culture. So I think a lot about that, and it's something that that I think I, I need to explore a little more. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. 
I mean, it's definitely something I think about even to bring back. I know I talked about Guyana in the beginning. So like for maybe anybody who's wondering why Guyana even counts as part of the Caribbean. So obviously for the kind of popular language and for most of South America, they were obviously heavily formerly Spanish colonized um, for the most part. But for Guyana, that is, you know, actually the only former British colony within South America. So when you think of the number of, you know, what was formerly known as the British West Indies, it was obviously, you know, Jamaica, Trinidad, a number of places. But um, I think it's important that we include Guyana in that because with that obviously unfortunate colonial history, it also comes with an impact of um, serious legacies, right? So whatever was the sort of, you know, even education system, if you were a British colony, you were obviously educated a certain way under the colonial authority, different from maybe country that was owned by the French. And so I think these colonial legacies and the the impact that colonialism has today is still obviously present and then also then impacts what we know. Because um, one of my friends, shout out to Morgan, was working in Martinique and she was talking about how as a teacher in Martinique, she was having issues teaching her students about, you know, Anglophone Caribbean history because of that language divide. So these are clearly problems that, you know, necessarily weren't ours to begin with because, you know, we didn't ask for all of this drama, but they still obviously impact us today. And there's something that I think we seriously need to overcome to become a better unit as we are. Just one thing I forgot to mention is um, just kind of like how these kind of like language divisions tie in with the geographic divisions and like how we name and define space. You know, the whole conversation around, or it shouldn't really even be a conversation, but the, you know, the issue of people like not considering Haiti to be a part of Latin America or like what mm-hmm. you know what we define as Latin America and like you know oh if you're English speaking you're definitely not Latin American but like you have to like be Spanish or French or Portuguese speaking just these kind of like arbitrary markers that to me kind of push aside more important colonial histories that's like a key issue and then just in general i think like that conversation around Haiti and whether or not it's to be included in the category of Latin America, it also just like brings brings up the whole, you know, the whole conversation around kind of like uh, Latinidad or like Latin American anti-Blackness mm-hmm. and like a huge part of like how these groupings are made or like who gets to be included uh, within Latin America is like, it's typically like anti-Black. So, mm-hmm. which also <laughs> in my, in my current, con- in my um, diasporic context, as a second gen Creole Nicaraguan from the coast, it's it brings up the issue of like self-identification. So like mm-hmm. gr- growing up, you know, in Miami among kind of like indigenous descendant, but like not indigenous mestizo yeah. Latinx people and kids and stuff like that, I always, you know, felt different. You know, I grew up around a lot of like mestizo Nicaraguans you know who are from the other side of Nicaragua whose culture is totally different who are not black you know who speak Spanish purely Spanish um and I you know I have like an English surname so that that is like interesting Mm -hmm. that issue kind of comes up for me 
And it's part of why, like, growing up, I was, like, unsure whether to classify myself as Latina or Latinx. Like, I never actually did. Um, and even to this day, it's something that I, you know, think about. Like, whether whether to include myself in a category that has, like, excluded me, you know, in order to kind of, like, make a statement about its exclusion or, like, kind of just, like, being yeah. like, no, I don't want a part of anything that has excluded me. And I think that that's, you know, that's an issue also, not just for people like me in the diaspora, but like for the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, who like over the last century has been really forced to kind of like be Hispanicized or like kind of be integrated Mm -hmm. into like the Nicaraguan national body. Like Nicaragua is the colonial body in our context. Like even even though we're like Mm -hmm. a part of Nicaragua, I mean, Nicaragua is the colonial, uh, is the colonizer. Uh, whether you want to call it internal colonialism or just flat out colonialism, um, that's just the truth of the matter because we were like militarily annexed by Nicaragua um, mm. in 1894. Historically, like we were our own semi-autonomous region um, and Nicaragua mm-hmm. came and imposed this like culture and not just like culture, but, you know, extreme oppressive conditions onto the region. So, yeah, all of that just gets me thinking about that as well more questions we keep just trying to figure just trying to answer so you know one really arbitrary question um is how we label the caribbean especially in terms of um thinking of latin america and you know the spanish speaking and obviously language borders so what do you what's your kind of take on the caribbean versus latin america and what countries are part of the caribbean um and latin america etc it's a it's a big toss up Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think um, in large part, it's really up to the person that's defining um, the region. Uh, I think uh, also a lot of that is dependent on one's kind of like political um, position or the way one kind of like thinks about the kind of social, historical and political construction of the Caribbean. Um, I think for one, a lot of that has to do um, with anti-blackness, um, which is something we've seen in the way that like Haiti gets taken up or or is excluded from the kind of like Latin American um, grouping. Um, but yeah, I think in general, you know, there's like the camp of people who are like Latin America and the Caribbean. And then you also have people who are like the Caribbean is Latin America and Latin America is the Caribbean. So it's really up to the person, I think. It also for me, brings up the question and the impact of sugar, right? So, you know, for a lot of um, places that were former colonies and, you know, maybe even today are staples of certain economies and cultures, the impact of sugar on what we call the Caribbean. So a Trinidadian scholar, Lloyd Bess, in his 1967 report called the independent thought in Caribbean freedom, he talks about um, what he labels the Caribbean as plantation America. And so, you know, for the Caribbean, sugar was one of our major exports, which, you know, then spills into rum, etc., as part of the transatlantic slave trade. But he cites sugar cane production as central to the definition of the Caribbean and its economic, social, and cultural, and even political development. So this, you know, for me brings to mind Suriname, which is one of those other places that 
um, or, you know, sometimes questionably Caribbean. But Suriname was one of the major producers producers of sugar um, in the 18th century and rivaling, you know, some of the largest Caribbean, um, other Caribbean sugar colonies, um, including Jamaica. So this is just like another way that we can conceivably tie um, colonial history, but just, you know, our history broadly together to expand our definitions of the Caribbean. So, you know, these were a lot of questions. We probably have more questions (laughs) than answers going forward, Mm -hmm. which is okay because, you know, we're still figuring things out. But I guess I think something that I wanted you to, you know, definitely have space to do was talk more about how this is playing out in your own research on Nicaragua. So you've talked a little bit about the history and even, you know, greater, more so in the Western, what I think we're thinking of as the Western Caribbean. So, you know, the that coast of um, Central America. So talk a bit to us about your your research and these questions and what you're kind of conceiving going forward, because, you know, I'm excited for the dis, or as we would say, dissertation. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm dis, excited for the word. dissertation. Drop. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. So let us know. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of did talk a little bit about like the history of my project, but my project, my dissertation is historical. It does have like a, a large historical portion in which I kind of, I don't want to say try to put the Caribbean Ghost of Nicaragua on the map because there's a lot of traps to like recognition, which is something we can yeah. talk about if we have time. But, you know, I guess something that has played me through a lot of my like scholarly life is the fact that like, we're a place that, (laughs) you know, has just this really complex history and was like so central to colonialism in the Caribbean and just like Western colonialism in general and the making of the modern Western world. Yet, like our history is like little known. It's not until like, I would say like the last like 20 years, maybe like 15 years that like Caribbean Central America has been really like spoken about both in like scholarly discussions, um, or mainly in scholarly discussions. I don't even know about like in general, like public perceptions of the Caribbean. But yeah, so my dissertation kind of, you know, traces the colonial history of Caribbean Nicaragua. The the history of Caribbean Nicaragua, um, you know, it was a British, it was a British protectorate, but essentially a British colony. And I trace the way that like, not only the British, but like multiple colonial actors, such as like Nicaragua, once Nicaragua um, gained independence and became a state, um, also such as like the Moravian church, how like all these kind of like transnational colonial bodies were present in the region and how what was central to this colonial enterprise um, was gender and sexuality and race. Mm. So I'm thinking a lot about the ways that like Black women were seen and represented by these colonial actors and the ways that Black women were harmed by these colonial actors. And so, you know, we can talk about the difficulty of, you know, as as, hot, as Sadia Hartman has written about, you know, the difficulty of the archive and kind of like uh, tracing violence through the violence of the archive um, and how that's a sort of conundrum in, in and of itself. But what I'm trying to do is kind of trace a visual history of colonialism and like racialized, sexualized colonial violence on the Caribbean Mm. coast of Nicaragua. Because I think, you know, there's been quite a bit of scholarship that talks about Black women's activism and like race 
gender, uh, race and gender in Nicaragua, and that focuses on the Caribbean coast, but I haven't seen a kind of like historical genealogy be laid out. So I think my work is, is trying to make an intervention in that area in order to think about, you know, the contemporary moment and the ways that contemporary Black women artists from the coast, visual artists, I don't want to say speak back, but are, are sort of working within and against that kind of visual colonial uh, legacy and the violences of that legacy. So, you know, my project is essentially about Black women's art. Um, um, I'm very intrigued by Black women's visual art, particularly painting and kind of like textile art. But yeah, so my project is like, it has a historical portion and then a contemporary uh, portion that's focused on Black women's art. But I think in general, beyond the specifics of like me looking at art, I I hope that my dissertation can, you know, make an intervention in kind of like situating the Caribbean coast as unquestionably a part of, you know, the Caribbean. And, you know, hopefully in the future, I would like to expand that work to, to branch out more generally um, to be about like the Caribbean coast of Central America and not just Nicaragua. But for right now, my focus Mm. is Nicaragua. Oh, yeah. You know, as we say as PhD students, a a done dissertation is a good dissertation. (laughs) So, you know, all the rest of it can be book two and book three and book four. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I I mean, I think what you're doing is really important because it's, you know, so segmented how we talk about the Caribbean which is you know definitely the reason why I wanted to have you for this episode for us to really start conceiving what it means to think about the Caribbean as a broader region and then as a broader people you know so don't necessarily think that you meet somebody from South America or from Central America and that maybe maybe you know in some senses you know we're all going to have our differences but there are also a lot of commonalities that we could draw amongst each other but yeah all to say that thank you so much for you know being our inaugural <laughs> guest on strictly fat i'm so happy that you were able to join us for this episode oh it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me this was a real treat i really enjoyed speaking about caribbean geography i don't get to do it enough oh, i know girl this is what that's what strictly facts is here <laughs> for Wayago, stay tuned for strictly fact sounds where we connect our history to popular culture Strictly Facts Sounds is a segment of the podcast that connects Caribbean history to popular culture. Music is such an integral part of our culture, whether it's through cultural performances like Carnival or Junkanoo. A sound clash is an equally important part of our music culture in which rival sound systems clash or compete to see who has the better dub plates. In this segment, Strictly Facts Sounds embodies this history to become our very own historical sound system. While there are no exclusive dubs yet, we'll share various songs, performances, and more that showcase different parts of our history that relate to each episode's theme. This week, we challenge the geographic boundaries of the Caribbean while speaking with Melanie. Some songs that add context to this episode are I'm Black History, I'm Black Culture, and Rock Down Central America by The Soul Vibrations. These two songs by the Nicaraguan group, The Soul Vibrations, historicize the connections between what we think of as the Caribbean and Central America. Also, the Corn Island song by Arlene Hodgson details the complicated history and culture of Corn Island, where Melanie's maternal family is from. As always, you can find our list of Strictly Fact sounds online on our Strictly Fact syllabus.
guys, the conversation never ends. Um, we were are going to be continuing to think through what we talked about as the Caribbean and all that, you know, all the histories, all the political histories. It's expansive. Um, so, you know, we'll keep going. If you have any ideas or questions or, you know, thoughts for next episode, make sure you follow us on all social media platforms. We are Strictly Facts Pod on Instagram and Facebook and Strictly Facts PD on Twitter. Before we go, make sure that you like, comment, subscribe, um, and even leave us a review. But yes, stay tuned for the next week's episode where we'll be talking about the Caribbean diaspora. Thanks for tuning in to Strictly Facts. Visit strictlyfactspodcast.com for more information from each episode. Follow us on Strictly Facts Pod on Instagram and Facebook and Strictly Facts PD on Twitter.